You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I am Michael Halcombe and I'm here with my friend Fred Long. Fred, uh, it's right on the verge of, well, New Year 2023. How are you? Hey, uh, thanks, Michael. Pretty good. Um, we're wearing uh, green t-shirts by accident or shirts. I should mm. say mine is a long sleeve and yours is a short sleeve because uh, it was just minus four here and probably like 86 degrees there. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. That's really warm here. I'm mid eighties yeah. and uh It's really nice weather. Well, we are um, continuing our discussion of Galatians, and today we're at Galatians 4. Um, We're starting a new chapter, and uh, we're picking up at verse 1, and perhaps we'll uh, read a couple verses in this episode, one on this side of the break and maybe one on the other side of the break. Let's do it. Yep. I'll turn to the Greek now, and yeah, we'll get going. Here's what Galatians 4.1 sounds like, and says in Greek, Lego de ef oson chronon o kleronomos nepios estin. Uden diaferi dulu kyrios pandon on. I want to say something real quick. Um, the word nepios has two accent marks, and whenever we're talking about pronunciation in Greek, whenever a word like estin has thrown its accent uh, backward, or yeah, I guess backward you'd say, and a word ends up with two accents, like nepios, in terms of pronunciation, we're going to stress them both. I don't know that I did that really well when I was reading, but how it should sound is nepios, nepios, right? So you get the stress on the eta and the stress on the omicron ne. Pios. So, o kleronomos ne pios estin. Yep. So, whenever Great. you have a word with two accent marks, you're going to stress the word in both places. Excellent. Well, as we're, we're at the middle point of Galatians, and it begins with a, a meta comment. A meta comment is a self reflective comment made by the author about the communication process. Now, I think it can also refer to like the audience hearing and listening and that kind of thing. But here we have Paul, Paul's authorial voice uh, being Mm. stressed by way of reference Mm. to it. Uh, So I say, I say. So in, in the audience's mind, Paul as speaker is once again reiterated. Uh, in the discourse. Now, de is the conjunction, the second word. So, lego de, de indicates a new development. And so, there's a next step in the argument is being advanced right here. And it does so by way of this meta comment, I say. And then you mm-hmm. have a f oson. Oson is a relative pronoun that's marked for quantity. Again, we've encountered relative pronouns of different types. This one is one that's marked for quantity. 
as many as or how much as or something like that. It's the object of the preposition F, F oson. F is from a P. It's a aspirated form before the rough breathing uh, mark of the following word, os, osos, oson here. So I would translate that for as much time, as much, mm-hmm. as much of quantity of time. So working with chronon, so ep, oson, chronon goes together and starts a relative pronoun clause that's, that's marked for quantity. So as we continue translated, then we, we have for as much time or for, for how long a time. About as air, long as. Yeah, for yeah. as long as. Yeah, as long as we understand there's the stressing there of time for however long, right. although not ever. You could add an ever in some other way, but not it's not there in the Greek text. For right. how long a time. I like that. The air is nepios, 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 <laughs> este is infant, uh, no longer, uden, uh, is it differentiated or distinguished dulu from a servant? And uh, then, so that verb diaferi, uh, feri is uh, takes a genitive, so it's a, it's a verb that has to do with distinguishing, making differences, and the thing that is uh, distinguished is put into the genitive case. So probably a better way to translate that would be: He is differentiated in no way from a servant. So uden is is probably the direct object, although people may understood understand that as an adverb of extent, perhaps, or something like that, in no way or in no regard is he differentiated from the dulu. And then you have the last three words of verse of one there, kurios panton on. On is a, a participle. It has no article with it. And so we're thinking of it as an adverbial or circumstantial participle. And uh, in this case, I would describe it as a post-placed, post-position or post-nuclear. And that is it, what that means is placed after the verb that it's in agreement with. And uh, it's really in agreement with the subject of that verb uh, the 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 inf, the infant or the heir the heir um and then so literally means like being lord of all so own comes from imi yeah. like the that. verb to be and uh, remember that the the verb to be participle forms the present uh i guess those are the only participle forms are masculine or own ontos onti onta on tes, on ton, usi, on tas. And what's really interesting about those endings is those are the third or third declension endings. It might be a, a, a major form of third declension endings that you've learned. And that's really helpful to remember that, that 
um, that Emi uh, e- e- uses those third declension consonant mm. stem endings. And so, yeah, this one is in fact nominative singular, going agreeing with kleronomos, and then making this explanatory comment. So it's placed after the verb, which is diafiri, feri, it's placed after that. And when you have a participle circumstantial that's placed after the main verb, we call that post-nuclear placed. There are three possible functions. One would be redundant use, like he said saying, that saying would be redundant to said. We don't have that here. The third, um, the second use would be what's called um, explanation or or explanatory use, explaining more about the situation in regard to what has just been said in the main verb clause. And that's, I think, what we have here. The third use would be a segue. And this maybe could be argued that way as a transitional segue. Um, and these uses, which I've described in my Koine Greek grammar book and presented a paper on and whatnot, um, I argue that they you can have two of them working together, possibly. So it's ex- explanatory as well as provides a transition to the next topic. It keeps it kind of going. And we know that, and as we'll see after our break, we'll, we know that the thought is continuing because verse two begins with an Allah, Allah, which is a conjunction that works with a negative prior to it, or typically, or an assumed negative. And in fact, we have the U then. Um, he is differentiated in no way from a servant being Lord of all. Now, translations will translate that circumstantial participle adverbially as indicating concession, concession, although, although he is Lord of all. Yeah. So where's this, um, where's this analogy or or metaphor? Why is he bringing this up? Why does he, uh, I mean, we just saw in three, what, 29 or was it three? Was it 329? Yeah, where he says, if you're, uh, if y'all are of Christ, then you are the seed of Abraham, uh, according uh, to the promise, heirs. So now he uses that word, the heir, again. But what does this have to do with anything? As long as you are, you know, uh, as long as the heir is an infant, I mean, what, what is the point here? What's he trying to do? Yeah, I, I think this is continuing the thought of verse of chapter three, where he says, we're going to speak in human terms. So 315, we're going to speak in human terms. And then in a series of human analogies of covenants, of relationships, of, you know, uh, different things that we've, we've discussed, he is now going to be talking about an heir, which is transitioning from verse 29, as you, you said. So verse 26 of chapter 3 um, introduces the idea that we're sons of God. 
So we're in God's family. And this is something we've talked a lot about. You've really helped me think more deeply about blessing. And what does it mean to be a blessing to people? What does it mean to bless people? It particularly comes in the context of family and probably in terms of inheritance, particularly, that'd be something to explore. Like what is, and, and, you know, for us, what is it that we're going to be inheriting? Well, eventually it's the, it's the earth. Uh, It's the world, uh, the meek, uh, if we're followers of Christ. So inheritance is uh, an important concept. And, And the point that Paul is making is that while an heir is a child, they're not differentiated from servants in the sense that they have limited rights, limited responsibilities, perhaps. Uh, They need to be told what to do. Uh, They're treated, you know, in a regimented kind of way, regulated, regimented. Uh, And he's saying that there's, you know, this analogy is interesting uh, and only works to a certain extent but it works on the premise of maturity. Like the goal of the heir is not to stay as an infant. Uh, Rather, there's this latent potency, there's this latent identity, in fact, that that heir is Lord of all, the household, Lord over all the household. So there's this... um, there's this growth and maturation process that Paul is building off of here using a human analogy of a typical kind of Roman household uh, where you have uh, inheritance from father to son uh, and, um, and that the son has to go through this process of growing up and starts as an infant. And he's going he's gonna to draw a lot of bank on that in the following verses. And um, yeah, I don't think we'll see it today, but we'll have to keep that in mind as we keep working forward in the text. Yeah. So as long as he is for as much time as the, uh, the heir is an infant, he's not distinguished from a servant, although being Lord of all. So for as much time as that's in the accusative case. And I think that's significant epi going back to the third, fourth, and fifth word of verse one here. Epi is a preposition that can be found with all the cases. Um, you know, the yeah. oblique, what are called the oblique cases, the, the genitive, dative, and accusative case. Those are called the oblique cases. And here it's with the accusative case because the accusative is, is a case that can signify extension, extension of time. And it's always worth considering these kinds of these, when you have options, why is the accusative case chosen? It's because of the duration, the extension of this time period. And as we'll see though, there's going to be time to grow up. Yeah. Right on. So this, this notion of maturity then is is going to be forefront in Paul's analogy, or he's using the analogy yeah. to to speak about and illustrate uh, maturity. So this idea that you're the the baby who is an inheritor of the infant, it's an inheritor, uh, yet 
even as it's Lord of all, while it's a baby, it, it can't necessarily make use of its status as an inheritor, right? There, there has to be some time pass, a maturation process, and then step into that role. Exactly. Now, this this really is an interesting metaphor um, that he's using. He uses it in different ways in other letters, which is interestingly in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which is you know nestled between 12 and 14, talking about spiritual gifts and growing up. He he talks about, you know, at one point we spoke like a t- child and thought like a child, but now we need to grow up and we put away childish things. And then um, in Ephesians 4, he talks about uh, growing up into Christ who is our head so that we'll no longer be infants, which is really drawing upon a political metaphor of a nation and a people going through stages of development. And Mm. I think that idea probably is present even here because it's going to be, he's going to discuss it at the level, at a a national level, so to speak, that is the law coming to God's people and, and, and they're in this infancy stage, but they really need to grow up into adulthood, which is, is going to be found in Christ, which, by the way, relates to political theory, where the king is this ideal, mature leader that all the people are supposed to grow up to be like in virtue really, and yeah. that kind of thing. So, yeah, this is a, a latent or maybe even explicit political idea that Paul has develops elsewhere at least twice in his writings. Looking for creative ways to launch your biblical language studies to the next level? We here at Glosa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit glosahouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glosa House, language resources for the global community. All right. That's it. Yeah. So, but he is under guardians and managers until the appointed time of the father. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So the Allah is a corrective conjunction. It marks correction. So um, what's being corrected is this idea that there's no differentiatedness from a servant, but uh, rather he is under uh, guardians and household managers. And maybe the correction has to do with the, you know, even though he's, even though he's Lord of all, you know, even though he's Lord of all yet corrected, he is under as guardians and household managers himself until the, uh, the time set by the father. Yeah. So these words are really rather interesting. Um, Upo 
with uh, can take the genitive or accusative, and here upo is with the accusative, uh, in which it has a very spatial sense of under, so coming under under them, and this prepositional phrase is is a compound one. Uh, that is, there's two elements, um, what are called the the uh, the head nouns or the I guess the what are those called? Prepositional objects. Uh, epitropus ke ikonomus, ikonomus, um, but they're separated on either side of the verb estin. Okay, so this is this can be confusing to beginning students of Greek, is where you have like a, a verb breaking something up. You know, technically technically guardians and household managers, they should, you know, they, you think of them as belonging together, prepositional right. phrase, article, and then the objects of the preposition, but you're having a verb break that. And so this is called a discontinuous constituents. That's the technical term for it. And usually this is done for effect. Now the effect can be either distress the first one <laughs> or the second one, or maybe both. And, and maybe that's that's kind of the point here is that in fact, the correction is that this Lord of all is under um, two types of people in, in the household, a, a guardian type, and then a household manager or steward type. Yeah. And so these these are interesting words, epitropos and epitropos. Um, tropos, doesn't tropos have to do with food? Uh, is that troph instead of trope? Troph? Tropos, or is that like, a, a, yeah, the manner of, I'm thinking of the wrong word. Yeah, it's tropos, yeah. not trophos. So tropos has to do with, uh, the word tropos means manner or way. So this is almost like yeah. a, like someone maybe who's uh, correcting them and, and telling them the way to live. Um, and then the other word, ekonomus, is from the word uh, ekos, which means house. And then nomos has to do with law. So again, this is someone who's like watching over the affairs and uh, management of the house. And these are important concepts in the ancient world. Uh, in fact, there are manuals written on household management. So, economia. You can find works on this uh, this this idea of of the ideal household management and how you should do that and that kind of thing. In fact, it's been argued that the pastoral letters, uh, I forget which ones or all of them, are modeled after household management manuals hmm. yeah so that the, the 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 list of virtues and and kind of some of the activities of the deacons and elders matches and corresponds with that which is described of the ideal household manager yeah and hmm. so uh the scholar who's looked into that he teaches at moody uh, i'll look up his name because yeah it's really interesting work and uh, yeah do you have any more insight into those words, Michael, with your social cultural kind of background, your research into this kind of thing? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think you, yeah, 
Uh, I like the explanation of the esteen. I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, do we have a, a corresponding thing in English? Like, and I was thinking, like, if I'm, I'm getting on my kids, like, let's say they're both, you know, two of my kids are, are doing something they shouldn't be. And I go to the first one and I'm like, you go into your room and you um or and you you know and so like and that first one it's like you i'm calling out the person and then the verb go into your room and then the and you and you right you go into your room and you right and so the one kid for a second thought they were going to get off the hook but um really what ended up happening happening was it was a way to draw sort of emphasis to both so i like that mm -hmm. that idea of what's going on here uh he is a lord of all but he's under tutors and stewards or however you want to do this uh, until the time set or the appointed time uh, the time set by the father yeah. um so that so that obviously scholars is john goodrich John oh, K. Yeah, Goodrich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got yep. uh, this one article is called Guardians, Not Task Masters, The Cultural Resonances mm -hmm. of Paul's Metaphor in Galatians 4, 1 through 2. I mean, that'd be directly relevant to this. And he basically, the, the abstract is that Paul's air analogy has traditionally been interpreted against the backdrop of Greco-Roman guardianship laws. However, because certain conceptual and terminological incongruities in the text have not been adequately explained, a relatively new typological reading, which identifies the analogy as an allusion to the Exodus, has begun to influence many interpreters. So this study will defend the traditional interpretation. Um, so basically, he's going back to know this is related to actually Greco-Roman guardianship uh, ideas. Yeah, so he's got other books like uh, articles one's called overseers as stewards and the qualifications for leadership in the pastoral epistles and that's uh, published in uh, zeitschrift for the neuen testamentliche wissenschaft und kunde der älteren kirche nice yeah very nice. very good work yeah that he's done yeah this this cultural background is just so important and in here in this case that one article is correcting kind of a nouveau kind of idea that maybe has some theological traction or maybe applicational some kind of cool idea he's like now wait a minute we got to go back to the culture that paul is writing this in and as as important as it is to relate it back to exodus and scripture paul using scripture yes he does that still he's using technical terms in a way that would suggest uh, the technical relevancy of household gotcha. management. Yeah. So, yeah. in in sort of a nutshell, I mean, what th the first two verses of chapter four are picking up on the last bit of Galatians three, and there, right at the end of Galatians three, again, Paul has said, um, "If you are of Christ." then you are of the seed of Abraham uh, and according to the promise heirs. But um, know this essentially that as long as an heir is an infant, even though he's Lord of all, he's still 
considered a slave. Yeah. But, uh, and, and the father has appointed him uh, to be under guardians or tutors and stewards for a set period of time. And the idea being that when that set period of time ends, he will walk full on into an, his, his status as an inheritor, no longer sort of have that slave status inheritor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll put, yeah, until the father's appointed time, the time set. And uh, just thinking about that from a Jewish perspective, that would be what? When would a young boy become no longer a boy, right? Bar mitzvah. Oh, yeah, bar mitzvah. Yeah. Yeah, son of the, what is it? Mitzvah is command. Was that commandments? Uh, yeah, son of the commands or commandments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty bar cool. Mitzvah. So, Greco Roman, you know, they probably have similar kind of rites of passage. And that's a whole topic we could talk a lot about is our culture is a bit confusing for youth, maybe totally confusing for youth, because when are they adults? When right. are they? really adult i mean is it when you have to pay full price at the food you know the buffet is it when they can drink alcohol when they could smoke cigarettes it's when they can see our movies is it when what you know they're four they're over four foot right. tall so they can ride all the rides at disneyland when can they become adults and um, mm. i think because there's no clear moment <laughs> i think parents like helicopter and they cling and they, you know, there's all kinds of weird mm. stuff. I think yeah, there's I mean, some I benefit. There are some, there are some rites of passage in our culture. I mean, you have, right. You have getting your license, you yeah. have graduating high school. Yeah. You have 21. So 18 and 21 are ages, but yeah, I mean, the, the loss of rituals, uh, yeah. In that regard, I think is really what you're hitting on. And yeah. That's yeah. that's quite quite fascinating. There are some, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wonder in the church, yeah, what what are the rituals that demarcate when you've become spiritually a, a mature young man or a young woman? I I'm not sure we we have those in the church. I mean, like yeah. I can't think of any rituals like that right off the top of my head. Confirmation? I mean some confirmation maybe but that happens at different ages for different people um and in different traditions yeah so yeah i mean i was thinking that too but i'm not sure uh i think it's supposed to be i mean when you think about scripture and how young god was working with people like how young they were when he calls them i mean he's working with young kids you yeah know, king david for example was just a young shepherd boy you know, and Samuel's yeah. hearing God call his name. I mean, it's, it's rather intriguing to just think about it. And I think it's a loss, yeah. actually. I think it's a loss for the church to not expect more of our youth and include them more. Yeah, we do have yeah. like promotion Sunday and stuff like that, but that's not a, a big deal. Maybe we need to make yeah. a bigger deal of it. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I've also heard the argument that the uh, youth ministry is like the worst thing that's ever happened to the modern church yeah. uh, because it prolongs immaturity. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, 
I don't know. I'm, I can see both perspectives on that, but um, yeah. that's kind of a tangent, kind of a tangent yeah, yeah. on the text. Yeah. It does cause us yeah, to think yeah. about some of these kinds of things, but, yep. but uh, yep. okay. Well, I've got a parting shot for Great. us. Yeah, let's hear it. Which is actually related uh, just kind hmm. of coincidentally. The soul grows fastest when it has learned to give back love for hate and light for darkness. You become what you give back. E. Stanley Jones. Great. Well, thank you all for watching or listening. We hope this was informative and we're going to keep testing this out and and trying to make videos and um, we'll keep going with the audio version of the podcast as well. But thanks everybody for supporting Prove Text and uh, yeah, we hope you'll tune in again. Until then, hello. See you later.